Good evening and welcome back to our pastor's class here at Hickory Grove. So good to have you join us as we continue our study through the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps Jesus' most famous discourse recorded in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Now we're about four or so weeks into this study, so if you're just now joining us, you may want to go back and watch the previous installments. Tonight we're going to find ourselves in the fifth chapter, beginning in verse 27. And there we're going to see Jesus discuss a particular sin, a unique sin, a sin that we need to discuss. And so tonight, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27. Now, as you're turning there, I would like to commend to you yet again, we are using a published commentary, a real thin, accessible volume that's going to walk us through the Sermon on the Mount. You can find it on Amazon. It's by Danny Aiken, entitled The Christ-Centered Exposition Series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, don't look up the Christ-Centered Exposition on Matthew, although that is a great volume in and of itself. They actually have a separate one published just on Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And that's the volume we're using to kind of guide our study uh, in this pastor's class. So, let's begin in Matthew 5. I'd like to read beginning in verse 27 and then pray and ask the Lord to help us tonight as we study His Word. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27. Hear the words of Jesus. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Would you join me as we pray? Father in heaven, I ask now that you would come and that you would speak your word to your people. These are weighty words tonight, and so I'm asking for the grace to communicate them faithfully, clearly, and with enough gospel grace that those who are convicted will see the hope that's in you. And I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Your sin runs deeper than you think. Deeper. So many of us, and I speak as one of you, so many of us have such a small view of sin. How often do you find yourself thinking of sin in terms of what you do? Those acts that you, do, you know aren't right. Those are the sinful things you do. I want you to see biblically, and we're going to pull this out in a moment, that that is actually, biblically speaking, a very small view of sin. You could describe it as a shallow view. When you see sin as only those things that you do that are wrong or those right things that you fail to do. Jesus has a much larger view of sin. For when Jesus addresses this great problem that plagues humanity, He doesn't address it as simply things you do or don't do. You see, when Jesus addresses sin, He's addressing who we are. In other words, Jesus is not just looking at the symptoms. He's looking at the root cause, the disease that underlies all the things we do. When Jesus addresses sin, He addresses a problem that is far greater than most of us want to give it credit. 
and there's probably no better place in all the Bible to see Jesus' high view, large, vast view of sin than in this Sermon on the Mount, particularly in Matthew chapter 5. For here we see Jesus address all these things that the hearers of his day, the Jews that he was ministering to, these rabbis, these Pharisees, these religious leaders who knew the law of God, he addresses to them all these things that they knew to be sin. But every time he brings it before them, he says something like this, you've heard it said, and then he gives a sin. And then he turns it on its head and he says, but I say to you. In fact, he does this six times or so where he says, you have heard it said, don't do this. But I say to you, and then he adds a new layer of complexity to this sin that it ought to humble every heart that hears it. It ought to humble each of us as we are confronted with the unfortunate but true reality that there is no escaping the sinful dark impulses of the human heart, that we are inescapably broken, that apart from divine intervention, we are truly without hope. And in particular, in tonight's text, he addresses a sin that many feel, perhaps even tonight you feel, you're relatively immune to because you have not in its ultimate manifestation committed it. And that is the sin of adultery, this unfaithfulness to your marriage vows. And Jesus begins in Matthew 5, 27, and he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And all those listening to him that night would have said, yes, Lord, we know this. You shall not do it. That's the seventh commandment. You ought not break your marriage vows. Lord, we know this. The law says you ought to stone an individual who commits adultery. Lord, we know this. And what Jesus does is he grabs everybody by the proverbial collar and Jesus says, you have such a small view of this sin. If you think adultery is just merely the act of fornication, then you have failed to recognize the spirit of this law. You are blinded by your conception of the letter of the law. Help, he is helping us see that underneath this commandment to not commit adultery is a greater thing, a more significant thing, a weightier reality that you and I must be confronted with tonight. And so mark this down if you're taking notes. You've heard this before, I trust. I want you to hear it again and let it roll around in your mind. Sexual sin is always a matter of the heart. It always starts with the heart. Sexual sin is not something you just stumble into. Moreover, sexual sin is not just doing acts that you know to be wrong. Sexual sin begins with and is inescapably a matter of the heart. And Jesus unveils the heart behind adultery, a lustful heart in these few verses. And in so doing, he shows that who amongst us could stand proud to say, I have kept this seventh commandment. Who amongst us could not plead the grace of the Lord Jesus? Who amongst us cannot hear the clarion call of Christ in this text to take up arms, to guard our hearts? 
Indeed, I think there are two significant, I'm going to frame this rather simplistically, two main things he wants us to hear. First off, number one, he wants us to wake up. My call to you today is if you are battling with lust, temptation, perhaps you are flirting with adultery this moment or you've committed adultery, the call of Christ to you today is to wake up. Wake up. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But in verse 28, he gives this wake-up call. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus wants us to see a few things. He is waking us up out of this slumber. All of us have it. It's, it's very easy to be numbed in this culture that's filled with sensuality and sexuality. I mean, I trust that there's a great many of you believers who find yourselves watching television programs that have all sorts of sexual content or at the least innuendo. And it probably makes you a, a little uncomfortable, but you just kind of tune it out. We've all been a little desensitized. I wonder how many joining tonight may find themselves more sexualized than they'd want to admit. That you're viewing things you know you ought not. You are engaged in relationships you, you know you ought not be engaged in. It is so easy to just be kind of numbed to complacency in this Western culture. Many of us are asleep in the battle. And Jesus is saying, wake up. I want you to see the destructiveness of this sin. You see, adultery was always destructive. The Bible has been clear from the beginning. There's a reason it was the seventh commandment written down in Exodus 20 that you ought to keep this marriage vow. You must be faithful to the one with whom you've covenanted. You see in the law of God that there is actually a mandate to be killed, to be executed for the sin of adultery. This is back in the old Mosaic law. You see this sin continue and carried through all the way to the New Testament where Jesus in John chapter 7 and 8, he actually confronts a woman caught in adultery. And the implication of that narrative is that this was a grievous sin, that this was something that ought not be taken lightly. It's always been a big deal in the Bible. And the truth of the matter is, whether you feel it or not, it is a big deal today. Its destructiveness is real. Adultery is a sin that is damaging to homes. It can really undo a family. When a marriage falls apart, children always pay a price to one degree or another. Friend circles are messed up. Just the whole nucleus of the home, as, as you might suspect, ends up falling apart. There is a lot left in the wake in terms of the destructiveness of adultery. Adultery is chaotic. It causes loyalties to be torn. Children don't know how to react to mom or to dad or to both. You've got in-laws that start getting into situations that become unpleasant. You just, my word, it becomes a chaotic mess. And it's deceptive. At its heart, adultery is a lie. It is before your spouse with whom you've covenanted saying, I'm not keeping this promise, I didn't mean it, or maybe I meant it at the time, but I no longer care. It's not worth the price to pay to keep this covenant. It's also deceptive before the Lord, before whom you ultimately made this covenant, and you're like, I don't, I don't care. Sin has destructiveness, and adultery is uniquely destructive. And Jesus is saying, wake up. 
I want you to see just how destructive this really is. It is a sin that is going to eat you alive. Its promise is false. What it says it's going to provide is not going to satisfy you. Wake up. It's destructive. Moreover, and we see this particularly in verse 28, he says, wake up. It's deceptive. It's deceptive because this sin is not merely an act. This sin is a part of who you are. It's a matter of the heart. For in verse 28, he says, but I say to you, anybody who looks at a woman with lustful intent. Now that word looks, that's a present participle, which kind of means keeps on looking. So the implication would be, it's not literally if you just glance at a woman, it's if you see somebody that is attractive, that, that invokes your lust, that you stay there and you linger, you look and you, you fantasize or whatever about it. That's, that's the implication Jesus has when he says, anybody that looks at a woman, he says, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. This is what happened with King David, who reigning over all of Israel was out on his terrace one day and looked down and saw a beautiful married woman bathing, Bathsheba. And it began with lustful intent. He looked, he lingered, he kept on looking. He saw something that, desi- that was desirable to him. He had lustful intent and then he acted, but it began with a matter of the heart. And you surely know well the destructive path that that act brought into David's life. This is the reason somebody like righteous Job said that he made a covenant with his eyes. Job knew, and you can find that in Job 31, Job knew that if he did not guard his eyes, guard his heart, that he was going to be susceptible to that which the great King David was manifestly susceptible. The point is simply this, sin and the sin in particular of lust and adultery, it is deceptive. It's been deceptive in the Bible and it's deceptive today. I want you to see this. It is deceptive today. Almost every man that I've ever counseled or interacted with that has committed adultery has been shocked by it. They all were stunned that they fell into it. They never saw it coming. Many otherwise apparently godly men who sought to honor the Lord in their lives, they allowed these small little things to start taking footholds. They kept themselves from an inappropriate relationship, but they allowed themselves the private thought life that Jesus says is in fact the spirit of adultery. They may have not looked physically at an unclothed woman, but within their mind's eye, or in the privacy of their own home, they did. They allowed sin to take a foothold. And before you know it, it began simply as just, you know, looking. And then it became flirting. And then it became something worse. Brothers and sisters, hear the clarion call of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. If any man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Only 6% studies say of individuals that fall into adultery say they just, it just happened. It was just one of those things that they never saw coming. The rest of those folks, the overwhelming 94%, they were baby steps 
that were leading up to this act where things started to get more comfortable and more comfortable and more comfortable. It's deceptive. And Jesus is grabbing us all and saying, wake up. I want you to see how destructive and deceptive this sin is. So this is Jesus right now under His great providence speaking to you as you are tuning in tonight. And if the sin of lust, if the temptation towards adultery is lingering and knocking on your door, hear the Lord Himself call you and say, wake up. I want you to see it for what it is. But He doesn't stop there. In fact, His words get a little stronger. For secondly, I want you to see that He doesn't just tell us to wake up. He also tells us to get up. I want you to see this in verses 29 and 30. He he essentially says, y'all need to get up. You need to wake up to the reality of the sin that is grabbing you, and you need to stand up. You need to rise up. You need to get up and do something. You need to respond to this. You ought not lay there passively. Jesus has some unusual words beginning in verse 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. That's wild. Is that a literal statement? He says, it's better that you lose one of your members than you throw your whole body, your whole body rather be thrown into hell. And then he echoes this in verse 30, which is just another parallel analogy. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body goes into hell. Is Jesus literally saying you ought to mutilate yourself? You know, there were some in church history that read this literally. Perhaps most famously was a church father, a significant figure in the first few centuries of the Christian church, a man named Origen, one of the more brilliant minds in church history. Origen, he took this so seriously and he wrestled with the sin of lust so seriously that he made himself a eunuch in an attempt to prevent this sin. This was him essentially gouging out his eye or cutting off his right arm. Now, obviously that's ridiculous. In fact, the church, a few centuries later at the Council of Nicaea, the church, a few uh, decades later at the Council of Nicaea, they recognized that this was a bad thing and they actually said, don't do this. This is not the spirit of Jesus's injunction in this text. You see, what Jesus is doing is when he says, gouge out your eye or cut off your arm, Jesus is using some shocking parabolic language to help us understand this. If something is causing you to sin in your life, you need to remove it and not think that you have the wherewithal, the self-discipline to just abide by it. So let's illustrate. If pornography has a foothold, you need to cut off your arm, so to speak, which means you may need to get rid of your computer. You may need to get rid of Wi-Fi in your house. You may need to opt for a normal phone rather than a smartphone. Or maybe more realistically, you get a program like Covenant Eyes or, or some program that'll help keep you accountable. You don't bring your phone into your bedroom at night. You have measures of accountability. This is the spirit, we believe. What Jesus says, cut off your arm, gouge out your eye. Jesus is saying, I need you. I am calling you to flee from this temptation. Get up. Flee from it. Mortify your sin. Don't mutilate it. He's calling us to die to sin. John Owen famously said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And so just hear this. 
we must take up this battle. We need to take this sin seriously. Tonight, that might mean for many of you that you need today to find an accountability partner, somebody who knows this battle is holding you accountable and is going to help you fight this fight of faith. Flee this temptation, Jesus says. But when Jesus calls us to flee from temptation, where are we running to? We're running away from something, but where is our new trajectory? Because this is, this is critical, and I want you to hear this as we conclude tonight. All too often, men fall into this same pattern that the Pharisees presumably fell into. They believe that obedience to the command to not commit adultery is just run from committing adultery. It might be like Joseph running away from Potiphar's wife. As long as I'm not going to do that deed, then I am in obedience. And this is what I want you to hear as we conclude. When Christ calls us to flee from it, to gouge out our eye, to cut off our arm, He is calling us to head a new direction. This is the spirit of repentance where we have a change of mind. We turn from something to something. Flee from temptation and flee to Christ. And the reason why I want you to really hear this tonight, why you must learn to flee from temptation to Christ, is because if you fail to seek Christ in your turning, you will fall and fail. If you try to flee from this and you just kind of aimlessly try to not do this, brothers and sisters, the testimony of most individuals is that that resolve to flee from sin will remain for a day or two, perhaps even a week or two, and it will come back. For we are fallen mortal men and women, and the battle over lust is a real one for all people. If you do not take seriously the fact that your your lust is a matter of the heart, then you are going to just deny your heart something it desires and not fixate it on something it was made for. If you want to win in this battle over lust and temptation, you must pursue Christ with all your mind, soul, heart, and strength and say, Oh God, help me to taste and see that you are good. Give me a change of heart, O oh God. Help me, as Paul says in Romans 8:13, to fight this fight of faith in such a way that by the Spirit I put to death the deeds of the body. Lord, I am not strong enough to do this myself. I try, I have good resolve, and it lasts for a few days. And then it just kind of peters out. I need your help, O oh God. Help me by the Spirit and by His grace, He has provided that advocate, that helper for you. The Spirit of God lives within those who are in Christ. And He will, the Scripture says very clearly, He will help you put to death the deeds of the body. And so tonight, I want to conclude with just a simple plea to you to remember just how high the stakes are. For the one thing I have not made clear I have not emphasized heretofore, is that in verses 29 and 30, the stakes could not possibly be higher. For Jesus says, it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus says yet again, it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Eternity is at stake. If you need sufficient motivation to take seriously, to wake up and get up in the battle with this sin, the stakes are clear.
Brothers and sisters, your souls are at stake. If you do not take this sin seriously, it may be indicative of a heart that has not tasted and seen that God is good. It may be indicative of a heart that has not been transformed by Christ. It may be indicative of a heart that loves sin, is complacent in sin, does not care. Now, don't hear me say that if you are wrestling with temptation, you are by definition not a believer. Of course not. My word, I am amongst you. If you have not fallen into lust or done things that you regret deeply, oh my word, there is grace that is greater than all our sin. So throw yourself upon the mercy of Christ and plead that He would do in you that which you cannot sufficiently do in and of yourself. And that is help you with the Spirit of God to put to death the deeds of the body. Hear the clear clarion call of Christ tonight. Wake up. Sin is destructive. Lust and adultery, it's deceptive. And get up, brothers and sisters. Get up. Flee from temptation and flee to Christ who will satisfy your sin-stricken soul. Would you join me as we pray? Father in heaven, for every man, woman, student who may be listening tonight, who is in the fires of temptation, who is battling, waging war against lust, I pray that by the Spirit you would come and help them put to death the deeds of the body, that you would wake up each of us to the destructiveness and deceptiveness of this sin, that you would raise us up, O God, that we would get up, that we would flee from this temptation and that we would flee to you. Oh, help us to taste and see that you are good. Do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.